Every day is a new day. Then just build the new habit moving forward. The only person holding you back is you. The only thing holding you back is your ability to believe that you can be doing something different and getting better results. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. All right, we did it. We had some technical issues getting set up here, a little bit of Bluetooth issues, which Seems to be the theme of business today, right, Luke? I mean, yeah, you got to work kind through. of having. You know what I've realized also, though, about issues, whether you're experiencing issues on Zoom or you're going Facebook Live, like here's a tip for business owners is like it really humanizes you how you deal with the issues. Like, don't be afraid that you can share the issues that you're having, because I think it humanizes yeah. you real quick and, and draws people in. No one wants a performance anymore. Like everybody wants just raw, authentic. Maybe they've always wanted just raw, authentic. But, you know, it's that I think that's why reality TV is so popular because it's just <laughs> it's not even real reality. Yeah, I was going to say that's say probably that. the, the least authentic. <laughs> I but. shouldn't say reality TV. I should say vlogging. Like if you follow, I don't know, do you follow anybody on YouTube like vlogging? So I follow yeah, this guy right. named Christian Guzman. He's a workout guy. And Steve Cook, they do work. And I, it's like I find myself watching these YouTube videos, and I'm watching them, like, their life. And I'm like, what am, what am I doing right now? <laughs> but it's so entertaining. It's the voyeur in all of us. We all kind of want to see what everybody else is doing. Yeah, it's entertainment. From it. But, yeah, the authenticity is huge. So it's such an important thing in principles and sales as well. And we actually have a guest today. Her name is Mary Grothy. Uh, Mary started her career with a Fortune 1000 company making just $13 an hour in an admin role, but quickly advanced into mid-market SaaS sales. Since then, she became the number one rep with millions in revenue uh, sold and took that experience and talent to start her own firm. And now she's the CEO of Sales BQ, a company focused on helping businesses uncover the core selling competencies and sales DNA of their reps and the managers that they work with. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Mary, it's awesome to have have you on the show. I'm excited to get into this whole idea of what is BQ. What does that mean? And, you know, get into your background. If you could just take just a few minutes and share your story with the audience. Tell them how you got into what you're doing and what led you up to today. Yeah, it's a fun story. I grew up in Northwest Indiana and was a product of the performing arts. I had two parents that lived and died by it. That's all I knew. So I actually grew up as a, grew up as a classically trained dancer and grew up in the arts. But unfortunately, when you're a child, you don't really understand what your surroundings are until you're a little bit wiser and you have perspective. And looking back, it was not a glamorous childhood and it came with a lot of stress and strain and struggle and alcoholism and abuse and other things. But typically you get a lot of hero stories out of those environments. And I'm one of those. When I was 18 and graduated and out on my own, had been on my own for a couple of years, I was playing in the world of part-time jobs and doing anything I needed to, to survive. And when I was 22, I came across an ad and this thing, like a newspaper, I know it's weird. Like a lot of people don't know what that is. Wait, wait, what's a newspaper? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this, this is like collection of text in a printed out tree. Anyway, 
But I saw an ad for an admin job, just an administrative assistant supporting the sales team, 13 bucks an hour. I was making 11 bucks an hour for my day job at the time. I'm like, look at that. I can make so much more money. I went in, I got the job. I happened to be supporting the number one mid-market B2B SaaS team, sales team in the country for Fortune 1000 paychecks, the big payroll HR company. And I stepped in. 22 years old, no experience, no degree. I fell in love with the concept of sales, told the manager, what do I need to do to earn a spot on this team? Went through almost two years of really intense development, training, studying, got my college degree during the time, took some ancillary courses, got a seat on the team, became the number one rep in 30 days. In fact, my first year, my quota was 150,000 I sold 758,000 in my first year, which was more than number two and three combined. Wow. In my second year, they said, hey, we want to replicate this. So the VP of sales of a $300 million division on a $1.7 billion company says, help me. How do we get other people selling at this level? So my second year, they cut my territory in half. They doubled my quota. They asked me to train reps and managers across the country. And I sold more. I sold 850,000 that year. My entrepreneurial journey started. I ended up leaving the company after five years, started my first consulting firm, led 36 companies to new levels of profitability, ended up wanting to make a little bit more money. So I went back to that payroll company, sold for three more years, met my now husband, bought a house, had a baby, sold millions, broke records. In fact, my last year there in 2017, I worked nine months out of the year and I finished number seven in the country, which I was very excited about. And then I ended up starting sales BQ. My, my wings decided to come back out and be an entrepreneur. And it's been an amazing ride the last two and a half years leading a company. We're small, we're about 10 people mm-hmm. and we go on contract for directly for CEOs for various types of companies doing about five and 20 million. And we take over their entire revenue function over a six month period, rewrite systems, processes, rebuild the team and stick around for the ROI and lead that team to new levels of profit. So that's me. That's what I do. And I have a beautiful three-year-old son. I'm obsessed with him. I (laughs) love this pandemic that we're in. I'm forced to be at home with him and just smooch him all day long. It's such a blessing. No, that is incredible. So we want to get to this BQ, this behavioral quotient idea of behavioral intelligence, I think is how you kind of define it. But what... uh, Let's step back to your story real quick as a salesperson. What do you attribute your success in that first 30 days, that first year? Like, how did you go from, I don't know, little experience to just crushing it that quickly? Yeah, well, look, (laughs) I played with a chip on my shoulder because I had 23 preceding years of really never believing I was good enough. Mm. And being a product of the family that I came out of, I had a lot of doubt and fear, and it caused me to be an overachiever. So that's a really amazing quality that I don't know if I was born with it. I definitely know it happened through just the way I was brought up. But for me, I just felt like I had so much to prove because nobody like me and my family really ever has gone on and went on to do anything incredible with their lives. They've been in this cycle of poverty and woe is me and whatever. So I broke that. And so I really felt like I had something to prove. Additionally, I was the youngest of four kids and I felt like the love and attention, I didn't get it. And so with sales, what's so amazing is you get a lot of attention. And (laughs) so awards and recognition, it was addicting for me. And so there was this 
understanding internally, mentally is like part of my core DNA of there is no plan B. There is no option to not be the number one rep. And so when I set out on this journey, I'm one of those people, when I commit to something, I will not commit to it unless I'm ready to just dominate, right? Mm. So when I said yes to this and I want this to be my career path, I asked those questions. What do I need to know? What, what are, where are my gray areas? What do I need to master before I actually step in the role? So I boil it down to these three things. One is all about IQ and it's just being a product or service technology ninja. It's knowing your product and service inside and out. Because when you look at the sales equation of how you build trust with a prospect, when you walk in, and I say that figuratively now, when you start a sales conversations, whatever method that you do that on, you <laughs> immediately have what's called PSI, perceived self-interest to the prospect. Meaning you're a salesperson, so you're slimy, gross, and you make a lot of money and whatever, whatever the perception is. And so they think you have this agenda and you have this perceived self-interest. And the way you lower that is by building credibility and showing your business knowledge and intimacy to that you can really identify and solve their problems. That builds trust. And that's how you lower that perceived self-interest. So for me, I was taught very early on to know what the heck I was selling because in the sales conversation, you didn't want to be filled with those questions that you couldn't answer or that you just nod your head and be like, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> It doesn't create a lot of certainty, credibility, or trust with a prospect. So for me, the first two years as an admin, I mastered the technology and the service and the lingo and really understood the day in the life of my buyer. But secondly, also a product of my raising, I'm very sensitive to other people's feelings and I'm very emotionally self-aware. So I have really strong EQ, which means I'm great at observing and I can feel other people's emotions. So I know as a salesperson, mm -hmm. when I need to lean forward, when I need to lean back, when I need to slow down, when I need to speed up, when I need to be more assertive, when I need to back off, when I need to just pause, when I need to ask questions or when I need to talk. And so there's something about EQ that gives you these emotional cues to where you can pivot and adjust in the sales conversation. And so what I was doing in my first two years before I went into sales is I was out in the field with sales reps and I was watching and observing. And I was picking up on these habits of when you speak, when you don't, and how you adjust the approach and where you pivot. And I thought well, that was masterful seeing how these high-performing reps did that. So that was something I wanted to learn and emulate. But the most important thing is the BQ. It's the behavioral quotient. It's the actual doing of the work. So you can be wicked smart and you can be very talented as a salesperson. But if you don't actually execute and do everything that you need to do to have a full pipeline and win deals, you won't win and you won't have the record breaking years and the quota crushing and everything that comes with that. So I'd say it was those three things. Oh my gosh. There's so many golden nuggets in all of this. That's unbelievable. You know what I love? It's just in, I, I think the audience can sense this too. It's like, you can feel the laser focus that you have that like commitment. And that's like a trait that I see in really successful people is that that obsession, that almost like laser focus, know what you want, go all in, burn the ships as they say. And then I've seen even in my own business, right? And I, I've taught my salespeople. So we have about a hundred that call on the phones. I've taught them, hey, look, a specialist is always gonna outsell a generalist, right? So if you know the lingo, if you know the language, if you know the pain points, but a golden nugget that you said that I think so many salespeople don't take advantage of is get with your buyers 
and understand, like talk to them, understand their payments. Because when I got my own brother, because we sell a lot to real estate agents, when I convinced my own brother to get into real estate, my level of salesmanship has skyrocketed to real estate agents because I knew it. I knew it book smarts. I've watched YouTube videos. I've talked to thousands of people. But it wasn't until I started living it personally with the person, following them around, listening to some of the stuff they were going through at a deeper level, all of a sudden my empathy ability, my ability to empathize with their pain and the confidence level and what I was presenting the problems I'm solving. So I think that's a huge golden nugget for the audience of, man, talk to your, get with your buyers. If you could follow your buyers around for a day and just understand the pain points that they go through, that alone would have revolutionized. But let's go deeper into this BQ because I've never heard of BQ before, right? So, uh, you know, our tagline on this podcast is take action. That's our, that's our tagline for this podcast, take action today. So it's all about the behavior, right? And so how do you actually implement BQ? What does that look like in practicality? So if you were training me to coach my hundred sales reps, what does that look like? Well, first you need a benchmark. And I don't like trying to solve a problem until I know what the problem is. And my recommendation for anyone listening to this is to benchmark the team. And we break down BQ into four areas. The first one is how you think, because how you think is going to trigger how you feel. And your emotional state is what comes before the actions that take place. There's positive emotion or negative emotion. It has a direct correlation within the effort that you put forth and the action step. Then it goes into how you perform. So let's talk about that. We have how you think, how you feel, how you act, and how you perform. So I would get a benchmark on anybody and determine how's their mental mindset? How do they think through the facts and information that come through their mind And do they create a positive or negative story with that? So as human beings, when information enters our brain, we create a story. That's how we relate to it. That's how we determine if something is good or something is bad. So if we smell something, we immediately know if it's pleasant or unpleasant. Well, Mm. we do the same thing when a piece of information comes into our mind. We make a decision. And we usually use a frame of reference and relate it to something that we might know And then we come up with, hey, am I going to feel good about this or bad about this? And that emotional state then triggers what comes next, which is what you do about it. And so I think that the first area of benchmark is to really gain people's, gain a benchmark with your team on just how they think, asking them a series of questions and having them evaluate their role, their ability to succeed, their work environment, what they sell, how the role is structured, their ability to outperform the quota or goals that have been assigned to them, if they feel like they're attainable, unattainable, listening to how they respond to that will give you a very strong glimpse into their mental mindset. And I believe it was Henry Ford, right? That said, whether you think you can or can't, you're right. Mm. Therefore, you're going to immediately know who's well positioned. I've also heard this described as a fixed mindset or growth mindset. There are ways that when the information enters the brain, every human being does something about it. And so then it fuels your emotional state. And so a high-performing rep, a rep with really high BQ, can make lemonade out of lemons all day long. The filter that they see any information, it's all positive to them. 
They have a high figure it out factor. They just always get it done. There isn't anything, even when obstacles are in their way, they get creative, they're risk takers, they're problem solvers. They'll figure out how do I take something bad that just got dealt to me and turn it into a positive? Or if I can't turn it into a positive, how quickly can I navigate and work through it so I can just put it to bed and work on the next thing? Mm. It's those that have that low BQ that will let something like that really bring them down and put them into this woe is me and negative state and unsure how they're going to overcome this and what even to do next. And then may just knock them down to what we would refer to as below the line. And you never want to make a decision below the line. You want to be above the line where you're consistent, you're feeling good, you're full of passion, you're ready to execute. So that emotional state is very important. Then the actions will come from that. So when you're naturally fueling yourself with passion and energy and excitement and optimism, you have endless energy. Therefore, the BQ, the action component, comes naturally because you just go. You just do. And mm -hmm. if you're prioritized, and this is a something that we would recommend to you as part of your benchmark and audit, look at how people run their day. Look at how well organized they are. Do they make a to-do list in the morning? Do they categorize? Do they prioritize? Do they look at their calendar and have a solid interpretation of how they should be spending their time? I have a fun story here on, on this BQ. They were trying to figure out why I sold so much and they wanted to replicate it. So they started to send new hires after they had gone through their first month of being with the company and two weeks of corporate and product training. They came to Denver and they got to shadow me. Most of them wanted to fall flat on their face by late afternoon. And they couldn't even believe that the day still had hours in it because <laughs> it was go time from early, early. I was always the first person in the office. I was not moseying around and checking That's in with awesome. no. I was there. I got it done. I did all the work and I was hitting my to-do list. I'd look at my calendar and say, okay, I've got this hour gap in between these two meetings. And someone might think, great, can we go to lunch? No, I brought my lunch. It's in my lunch bag. In fact, I still carry my lunch bag today. It's down on the floor. Otherwise I'd show it to you right now. I always pack my lunch. The only time I actually go somewhere to eat lunch is if I'm doing it as a meeting to be productive use of time. Mm. But otherwise I pack my lunch and in between meetings, I had to print it off call list and I was always working and people can't hang. Like they were just exhausted by that. But again, if they were in the right emotional state and had the passion and excitement and they were ready to go, then they would have been fueled and had that endless energy. And so that's something that a high performer is gonna have. And the last part is the performance. And that's really easy to get a benchmark on an individual, you can look at their leading and lagging indicators. I never wanna rule somebody out because the lagging isn't there if it's just a problem of tweaking or enhancing the leading because I look at leading indicators as seeds that we plant into the ground. And so if we're planting apple seeds, we're gonna get a tree that has apples, but it's the people who plant apple seeds and they expect oranges, there's something seriously wrong with that. But think about how many salespeople you know that are like, they, they think they're doing what they need to be doing and they're planting the wrong seeds in the ground. If thoughts, words, and actions were all seeds, what kind of harvest are you going to have? And how long is it going to take to grow? And how are you nurturing that harvest? And so there's just this law of how it works. You put seeds in the ground and you grow things. What are you putting in the ground and what are you going to reap? And so that is an understanding when you look at performance. So when you do a benchmark on people, 
Is it a leading indicator problem? Is it lagging? Is it all around? But if you can benchmark in those four areas, you can start to understand where the focus needs to be for area of improvement. But what we have found time and time again is it starts at the top and it starts with mental mindset. Mm. Man, I, just the thoughts, words, and actions are all seeds. And what are you planting? Because that's going to reap the harvest. I, that is so powerful. That is so powerful is thinking about the thoughts you're thinking, the words you're saying. And, and I've always taken it to the, the movies you're watching, the, the books you're reading, whatever you're putting in. I've always heard it described in my life, the, the mentors that have mentored me. It's like you're a bank account, Luke. And everything you read, every interaction you have, everything you watch is a deposit in that bank account. And when you have to exert energy, you have to go to that bank account and you have to pull, you have to pull from that. You have to get cash out of that. And that's going to come. So what have you put in? So what have you put in? Because you're going to, when you're, when you hit the, most people, when they hit hard times, it's like you're saying they can't hang. They can't hang because they put Tiger King in their bank account. <laughs> that's what they had. They, they put that instead of investing and planting those seeds. I love the way of thinking about it like a harvest. I think that's incredible. Relationships are the key to success. Right now, everyone in your database knows three to five people who need what you sell. So how do you get those valuable referrals? By connecting consistently and meaningfully. American Lifestyle Magazine is a high-quality, 48-page publication branded to you and full of amazing content your recipients will love. It helps you stay connected with your clients and sphere, keeping you top of mind for referrals. Want to see how it works? Get your free sample of American Lifestyle Magazine at ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidSample. That's ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidSample. So I have to ask, Mary, is, is BQ uh, behavioral quotient, is that something? Because you said that these young reps, they couldn't, they didn't, you know, half the day goes by, they want to, they want to pass out. So is that something that you learn or something that you have? And is that, do you have like a system of how to increase someone's BQ? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of both. It's, it's the same argument of, are salespeople born or are they made? <laughs> For me, just being, I'm a natural salesperson. I've been selling since I was a kid. You should have heard me as the youngest of four getting in my way. I am natural with persuasion. I'm natural with passion, conviction, and enthusiasm. Those are traits that I've always had. Then you add in the competitive nature and the fact that I'm good from a, a studying standpoint. So academically, I've always been very strong and I love learning and mastering concepts and being articulate. There are qualities about me that a lot of other people don't possess, which is fine because they have other qualities that I don't have and we all want everything, right? But this <laughs> is what I've been blessed with. These are my talents. This is who I am. And so me putting them to use in the sales profession that has bode well for me because it's a perfect alignment. There are a lot of people that want to be in sales that shouldn't be in sales. Like you're not going to be successful. And there has to be a point when they cut it off and be like, maybe I'm not cut out or meant for sales. And that's a really tough truth, but it's honest truth. Also, there are things that I would love to do. I grew up classically trained as a dancer. And I wanted to, I was classically trained in ballet and tap and jazz and got into hip hop and break dancing and other styles. You guys, my body is not built to be a professional <laughs> dancer. Like I have no natural turnout. I have no natural flexibility. I fought harder than everybody in my dance classes. I practiced 
extra hours. I sat in my splits to the point of wanting to just cry. I suffered more hamstring pulls and tears because my body is not built to be a dancer. Now I did very well, but to go on to be professional, I have limits. Guess what? Not everybody is built to do everything. So mm. some people aren't built to be salespeople. And that's just, you got to pour in yourself, invest, fight every day, train, commit to being better than you were the day before. And at some point, like give yourself a period of time, but to fail year over year over year. Sometimes we do interviews with salespeople and it's like, well, you know, that job was just really hard because the manager was just really tough on the people, you know? And then I, next year I went there and the product was just like behind the competition and couldn't do well there. So the next year I went to work for somebody, but you know, it was hard. They had this like remote office set up and it was just not the right environment for me. So then I went to work for, and it's just a pattern. It's like, let me tell you how many companies I've sold for. And guess what? I hit my quota at every single one of them. The ones that mm. I left, I didn't really like it. So I left and I don't even have them on my LinkedIn resume and I never talk about them except I just did. But the point is not every sales role is a fit for everybody, but you're, you're good at sales and you have those abilities. I do. I feel like some people just need to let it go, but I think I missed the first part of your question. And I just went on this major rant. Is it no, I love it. I, I yeah, go ahead, Luke. I was just going to say, like, I think the same thing. I think, you know, sales, I think sales is both an art and a science. I think there's a, a little bit of both. And, you know, the truth is, is there are God-given gifts and there's a gift for sales. There's natural personality traits and as you would call it and competitive nature built in from maybe it's nurture, maybe it's nature. I don't know. But, you know, I think it's built into people. I've always explained it kind of as the Rudy have you ever seen the movie Rudy? Any of you guys seen the movie Rudy? The, yeah. the guy who wants to play football, right? And, but he's just not built to play football. Like, that's just not his thing. And, and, at, and like when I've trained sales reps over the years, it's like I always tell him, look, you know, if you put the effort in, I'll put the effort into you until I see the Rudy syndrome, meaning you just weren't made for sales. And it doesn't mean you're less valuable as a person. doesn't mean any of those things. It just means, Hey, there's another gift out there for you. There's another, why would I want to keep you in, in misery where you're not winning, you're not succeeding and move you on. Now, do I believe sales is something that everybody should learn at a fundamental level? Absolutely. I think accountants should learn how to sell. I think lawyers, I mean, I mean they sell every day in the courtroom, but the point being is every single person should learn how to sell but I would agree is I think there's naturally born people. My, I guess, question to you, and this is kind of a selfish question, because here at Reminder Media, we hire a lot of salespeople. And, you know, we have decent success of retaining salespeople and stuff. But one, one of the things we've tried over the past couple of years is using the predictive index. So it's, you know, a version of like the disc. I don't know if you've ever heard of predictive index, but we measure like the personality traits of salespeople. And we've always, we have found in our sales specifically that it has helped us. We find four different profiles, a persuader, a promoter, a captain, a maverick. And what that basically is from a personality trait standpoint is dominant, independent, social, like very extroverted and social, does well in our sale, lack of patience, does well in our sale. And they need to curve back on the detail. Like they need to have some detail, but not any level of like the Don't average. If, <laughs> yeah. If the average person's detail was here, they would be on the less than average side, but it would be curving right. back a little bit. That has helped us. Like it's enhanced our ability to keep salespeople. I'm just curious your thoughts on that, Mary. Like, have you seen that? Like, that's the science maybe of trying to predict 
who's going to be a good salesman. Have you ever tried that with your firm or with other companies that you've been part of? Yep, 100%. We love evaluations like that. And there are so many out on the market. Really, the company just needs to find the one that seems to be correct for them because there are different types of sales environments. And I think some of the assessments, but even with predictive index and disc, what you just described, you can translate that into all the disc qualities. So you're talking about dominance and influence, and you want to have uh, high urgency, low patience. You want to be low in the detail, but have some detail. You should have pretty much no S on the sales side because you want no complacency, no like go along to get along, change is scary, want everyone to feel good. Yeah. Like you, you need to know, I mean, look. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I was an IS early in my career because I didn't have dominance growing up. I wasn't allowed to in my household. I wasn't allowed to speak up or say anything if I didn't want to get, you know, in trouble for it. But as I grew older, I realized I have a lot of D and a lot of dominance. And when I started to flourish in an environment where it was allowed, that strength in me and the confidence that came with it made me even more unstoppable. So yes, every quality that you listed, those four profiles, as well as that DI combination on the disc, and there are other evaluations out there, 100%, they align with it. So yes, there are qualities that are that bode well for sales. Same as you wouldn't put a high eye or an influencer, an exaggerative, passionate talker, you would not ask them to be an accountant. They'd hate it. <laughs> so why is it wrong to say that a salesperson should have type this type of profile when you know there are certain types of profiles for certain types of people and certain types of roles? And I just learned, especially being an entrepreneur at a young age and coming back into the world of being an entrepreneur at 34 years old, I realized that this is where I'm meant to be and life is short. So be somewhere you can flourish and excel. I actually feel terrible when I watch salespeople year over year over a year, barely, barely bump up against quota and they're just not cut out for it. And again, it just goes back to when I was training to be a professional dancer. I had more heart and passion for the sport than most of the people around me. I spent more hours in the studio. My heart was so into the profession of dancing that I needed it more from like a therapy standpoint and to feel whole as a human being. It was, I was so passionately and deeply connected to it. And I was one of those dancers that you would watch. And in a way you couldn't take your eyes off of me because of the emotion that was being portrayed in the dancing, but then you look at the technique, I could never go to the next level because I just didn't have it. So mm. there are some people that are like, but I want to be in sales, but I love sales. Okay. But how long are we going to play this game? Because you're a drain on management and you're very mm. difficult to work with. And your best is just never even going to get you to quota. Like if you're going to be an 80 to 90% performer. Now I say that and some people might be listening going, I died to have 80 to 90% performers right now because my average is 54% with the national average of people that hit quota, whatever it is. But you know what I'm saying here? It's just sales is the most rewarding career. I selfishly say that because I'm in it and I love it. But for me and people like me, this is a, a dream come true to get to be in this profession. And the last thing I'll say on this is I still get to sell for SalesBQ. So I'm a CEO. I run the company, but selfishly, I still do business development because I'm crazy about it, because I love it. Because in a sales conversation, like you think this is passion, 
getting in with these CEOs and being a complex problem solver and working them through and being their saving grace because they have spent hundreds of thousands and tried things and they can't get it. And one conversation with them and we're like this, and I'm so in. And then when I get the yes and I win that deal, Mm. the endorphins and the, just the rush, the high, I'll never, it'll Luke's never be feeling it. I'll yeah, never Luke's get feeling it. it right it's now. like when we get the credit card, it's like either, I always tell my sales trainer, I said, watch that person when they get their first credit card. And you'll learn so much of how they respond to that and how they feel and how they talk about it and all that stuff. Do they love it? Do they love the, do they love the hunt? Do they love the closing? You know, all that type of stuff. But no, that is so that's so true. Like the passion there that comes out of you. And then, you know, it's interesting for me. I think the hardest part, because we hire so many salespeople, you know, Josh and I, as we have grown this thing, one of the biggest struggles has been, you know, we got a lot of great performers and we're trying to scale our company here. And it's like, you know, we want to have 700 people on the phones, not just a little over 100. But the problem is when you're trying to go get the 700 people, you end up settling on your standards. And then what I learned the past two years is, I mean, we settled maybe too much on our standards and then I had to clean house. So then I got rid of like 20 something people because it brought everybody else down. I guess what's your opinion on like, do you just hardcore to the point of I don't care if I lose people because we're Michael Jordan and we're here to win? And we will only keep the people who are like Michael Jordan. Or do you have a sense of flexibility? I'm just curious of your opinion on that. I am pretty sure this is my favorite question I've ever been asked on a podcast. Like, let's have some fun. Okay, (laughs) here we go. Double check your model. I would question that your model and your numbers are off if you're having that consistent of a problem. And so what I would do if this were my business and I'm looking for that growth and scale, you have to come to the realization that there's a reason why you hear a lot about the top 10% of a sales organization or the top 1% or top 2%. The high-performing salespeople are rare. There are the sales unicorns out there. They're really hard to come by. They're typically uh, spoiled, very well taken care of and nurtured, hopefully, by their current employer because they know how valuable they are and what their production is. So for me, I was my sales manager loved me because he could have an open territory and it never mattered because I would sell more than two or three people. And so he's like, oh, we have an open territory. That's fine. We're still gonna, we're still gonna qualify for conference, we'll still hit the awards. Like he never had to worry when I was on his team because my production was so high, but Mm. that's a huge risk, right? So when you look at the model, so if I took you on as a client, what I would do is I would go back historically and I'd get your 12, 24 and 36 month and I'd break it apart with all of your KPIs. I would look at the ramp up time to productivity. So I would look at when you bring in a new hire, when are they hitting break even? I would look at what they're capable of on the output and I would look at it on a curve. And I would look at the model and say within X amount of months, what is your predictable production? And then be able to say, do we need to lower the number and then build in higher margin? So we need to reduce expense somewhere else in our client acquisition costs. Let me slow this down. So let's say I'm just gonna use round numbers. Your average client, let's say it's worth $10,000, but between labor and marketing costs and everything else that goes into it, maybe it costs you $5,000 to get that client when you add it all in. So you have 5,000 left out of that client. Are you willing to go down on that margin to get more? So if we can increase your cost to be 7,000 to get the $10,000 client, you only have 3,000 on that margin, but then 
if I can spend that extra money, but then get you three X on the number that you're getting, would you be willing to change the number in the model to get that? So what I'm trying to say here is you're, if you, you could do that one by lowering the quota. So more people achieve and you bring it down to what your masses are, but then you have better opportunity to hit it because you're at scale and you can hire more of what's available in the market and train them and make it more predictable. So whereas they may be able to do a little bit less, what you're doing is you're getting more on top of it, but your challenge will always be if you have if you have churn is expensive. So the only way that this is for people. So the only way that this is going to average out and work is if you have good retention on those people, because if you look at your productivity ramp, if your productivity ramp is six months and you give people another six months to succeed and you're starting over, that's a very, very expensive model. But if you're able to lower what their output should be to say, Hey, we've looked back at the numbers and consistently like the bar needs to be lowered here because the amount of people that we have that are successful selling above this are few and far between. And the amount of training and investment and recruiting costs and everything that goes into the expense of retaining better talent only yields us this. And so it's just looking at the entire model. But when we look at setting up companies for scale, additionally, we always want to look at where in the process they're not succeeding. So when we look at sales and we look at the full buyer's journey in the pipeline, we want to understand, is it more of a marketing problem or a sales problem? Do they have enough at bats? Are we filling the funnel enough? Are we automating everything that we could? Are we asking people to do manual work, which is killing productivity and profitability Mm. on some of our numbers? And so there's just so many things to take into consideration when you're looking at building something to scale. Ultimately, you want to make a Toyota production line. You when you're looking at going from 100 to 700, but it has to be to clockwork. It has to be to the penny and it has to be predictable. Well, the only way to do that is you have to go to a lower denominator. Mm. You can't have the bar up here and want that. You have to work the model down to where it serves more to the masses to get to 700 and not have the most expensive growth problem. That is so awesome. I love how you broke that down there. And it is, it truly is. We've described it as like, I like the Toyota factory line better than the way we have. We've always said like Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich, like meaning like they make hundreds of thousands of chicken sandwiches and you're going to get the same chicken sandwich in Atlanta, Georgia that you do in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And how do they do that? How do they make it systematic where your quality is good, all those things, but they're able to replicate again and again and again. I love that. It's very, very insightful. Thank you for sharing. All right. So you seem to be someone who is super driven right? You have laser focus. I am so curious because I'm a junkie for like self-development is what are your routines? Like most of the people I interview, you know, success leaves clues. I'm just curious. There's no magic formula, but what are the things you look back on routine wise and go, I implement these routines in my life and they have driven results for me. Yeah. Um, this one, it just, I have these different stages in my life where I'm very clear on what I want to achieve. And I've learned to the phrase back into the number. If you look at the big goal, they say, how do you eat an elephant? That's one bite at a time. And if you look at the big goal, you have to break it down into all the tiny steps and actions in order to achieve it. So if you're not mindful enough to create a strategy that has clear, actionable steps for execution, it's always just going to be a hope and a dream. 
And mm-hmm. depending on what I'm looking at accomplishing at certain points of my life, I know that there are missing variables to my equation for success. And so if there's learning that needs to happen, development that needs to happen, those come first so that I have the framework that I need in order to execute and go forth. Another thing is plugging into the source is a term I hired a business coach a couple of years ago. And he said, where do you refuel? You give, give, give. The energy output is constant. What do you plug into so that you can refuel and get that back? For me, I'm a Christian woman. And so I love resting in the word, but I also love sermons. And whereas a lot of people digest great podcasts like this, back when we used to do this thing called drive to work, um, in the mornings, I there's a radio station out here in Denver that I love, and it just has like straight sermons in the morning, and it's just preaching, and I love it. So for me, that's how I would charge up for the day, is to be in the right mental mindset. And for that, the core values that come from that for me. And I felt like the armor that I was putting on to attack the day was essential for me to make it through my days as a CEO of a very fast growing company in a lot of unknown areas that I hadn't (laughs) embarked on before. And it was scary. So knowing, looking back at the last couple of years, prior to that, you asked me to do sales, I can do it in my sleep. I love it. It's easy for me at this point. It's super enjoyable. I can't get enough of it. But being a CEO and running a fast-growing company, well, that was new. And so how did I need to back into the goal? Well, what I started to notice is that when trials and tribulations, which by the way, when you run a company, those happen a lot. I wasn't prepared for them. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> and they would they would really bring me down. So what would we what did we talk about earlier? Mental mindset. Information enters your mind. It either triggers a positive or a negative response. And then that fuels your actions. So I started to check myself on the VQ and realize that I was having things pop up during the day that I was having negative reactive emotions to that were then slowing me down and bringing me down and affecting my performance. And so then I have to solve for that. So how do I fix that? And the biggest thing for me was just being right with myself and plug it into the source, fueling myself in the morning so that I was in the right state of mind. I had my head and heart aligned so that I could go be great in something that I really didn't have a lot of experience in doing, which is being a CEO and running a team. And so for me, I feel like that is just step number one is Mm. making sure that you have the goodness coming to you, but really backing into the number. What do you want to achieve? And in what timeframe? And then really mapping it out. Then what are all the things you need to do to get there? One is foundational. Do you have any missing variables to your equation? Do you need to read? Do you need to study? Do you need to learn something new? Do you need to observe? Do you need to practice so that you can execute? And then what are all the actions and steps that you need to do and hold yourself accountable? And if you're one of those people that struggles with accountability, like a person that's really hoping to take these extra 15 pounds off from quarantine, but you just haven't done anything about it yet. If you're that person that struggles with accountability, find an accountability partner. (laughs) Yeah, that hit close to home for Josh. He was convicted on that one. (laughs) That's so good, though. That's so awesome. Yeah, all right. So last question for you, and get a little deep here, is, you know, knowing what you know now, right, all that you've been through, all the success, but also the trials that you've overcome, what would you go back and tell younger Mary? What would you tell that high school age girl or that college age girl? Yeah, I had some rough years in there. And I think a few years ago, I would have had something different to say to this answer. I think I would have had very concrete and sound advice. Mm. But over the last few years, I have grown the greatest appreciation for every single thing that has happened in my life because I can trace back everything that I am today and everything I'm able to do today 
and everything that comes out of my mouth and I'm, and I'm able to do for others, it's, it can all be traced back to something that happened earlier in my life. Mm. And would I trade any of that? Would I trade those trials and tribulations? Would I have traded being smarter and avoiding it? There's, um, there's, a quote, I don't know if it's like super scripture based or not, but I heard it one day and I loved it a few years ago. And it's just saying that he will not protect you from that. He will perfect you through. And I think about that of what if I had been withheld from some of those situations or what if I really had that knowledge and didn't go through those moments? Would I be the woman I am today? Would I be what I am? Would I have what I have today? And I don't, I don't think I would. So knowing that that is not the answer you were looking for, if I really had to, for the audience today to listen to it, is one, give yourself some grace. Mm. But two, get your head on straight. The quicker that you can move away from woe is me and being in this reactive state to listen to your words, listen to what you say when somebody asks you a question. And if it's full of negativity and things that didn't go right and things that happened to you and everyone's out to get you and all these bad things, stop. The common piece here is you. So pull it back in, give yourself some grace, forgive yourself and just be different from today moving forward. Do something different today that you haven't done in the past. If you want to get different results. And so looking back in my life, I know that I've always been super high urgency and fast pace and quick to correct the course of action. And for that, I'm very thankful. And so I think that that's just the words of advice that I have today. If things aren't going the path that you want, correct the course. Nobody says because of your past or what you've done previously or what people think of you, stop, just stop. Every day is a new day. Then just build the new habit moving forward. The only person holding you back is you. The only thing holding you back is your ability to believe that you can be doing something different and getting better results. So good. <laughs> Woo! Preach. Preach it, Mary. I say that my dad's now, a Mary. pastor, so. And, and, you know. <laughs> I grew up in Southern Baptist, so amen. Dude, amen. I, I, grew, Hallelujah. I grew up Southern Baptist, too. I didn't realize it was Southern Baptist you grew up. That's so funny. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story and everything you're going through, obviously, with your, you know, getting to where you are today and then the business that you're growing. Before we close out, tell people how they can learn about Sales BQ and how they can connect with you. Yeah, let's run through it. One, I'm working on a book deal right now. So this is going to be coming out and it would mean the world to me. If you would follow me on Twitter, this is the only odd one. It has my middle initial, Mary L. Grothy. And then Instagram is Mary Grothy. LinkedIn is Mary Grothy. YouTube is Mary Grothy. And then go to salesbq.com. For anybody that is in sales, business development, does anything where they have to close revenue, we have a training room. It's completely free. I record fresh content every single week. Go on there, get your free access code, get in there, digest, enjoy, and then connect with me on the other platforms. Thank you so much. Awesome. And that's G-R-O-T-H-E, Grothy, Mary Grothy, except for Twitter. It's Mary L. Grothy. We all have that one handle that's weird. Luke's got his on Facebook. It's yeah. Luke R.M. Yeah, Luke Acre R.M. Or Luke, Luke Acre R.M. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Mary. And thank you all for listening to get all of the show notes and the links that Mary mentioned there. Make sure to head on over to staypaidpodcast.com to find that episode and to see the video of this as well. 
And then, uh, hey, look, if you're interested in supporting the show, there's only two ways we ask you to do that. Number one is head on over to iTunes, leave a review and a comment on that review. It really helps us kind of hear what we're doing well with the show, what you guys want to hear more of. But it also helps us move up the iTunes charts. It helps iTunes little al algorithm. Whoa, got a little excited there. Helps <laughs> iTunes algorithm to uh, figure out, you know, push stay paid up the charts. Our goal is to be number one in marketing this year on iTunes. Second way is to tell a friend about the show. Uh, if you have someone in sales or you have a business owner or a CEO or a VP of sales that is looking for a way to get more out of their sales team, make sure to connect with Mary. Make sure to share this podcast with them as well. And if you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at ReminderMedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acrian. Man, what an incredible episode. I can say that because, you know, I run a, a sales team here and I've, you know, I've had a passion for sales and just so many golden nuggets there if you're trying to grow a sales team and so many things that you can even apply to yourself as a salesperson. But I want to give you some action items because there's really two that I think flow together extremely well that will help you start moving towards accomplishing what you want out of life. And they're very hard to be consistent in, but they're not hard to do from a complexity standpoint. One is, what is your bank account? What are the seeds that you're planting right now that you're going to reap the harvest from? I want you to do an audit of your mind and what you're feeding yourself, the books you're reading, the TV shows you're watching, all the actions you're doing, the interactions you have, and start auditing that and going, what am I feeding my mind? What am I feeding my mental mindset? And then, you know, ask yourself, is that the reason why you're not moving forward in the direction you want? And then the second one for your business that I think is very, very powerful is back into your numbers. Back into your numbers because you can't accomplish your goal if you have no plan to get there. It's just a wish at that point, as they say. So back into your numbers. How many calls does it take to get the appointment, if that's what it is? How many appointments do you actually go on and close? So how many of those closes actually go all the way through? If you back into your numbers, you start developing a plan. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single industry that Josh and I have worked in is top producers take action. Take action on that today. <laughs>